on behalf of Hannah and myself, thank you for also welcoming us into Joint Air. It's been our pleasure to get to know many of you over the past two months and to get reacquainted with many of you also. Thank you to Ray for giving me the opportunity also to teach and to bring God's word um, to you tonight. So as you guys know, we're studying the book of Mark. And so please turn with me um, to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be going through verses 29 through 38. And I've entitled this message as the healing power of Jesus. The healing power of Jesus. Starting in verse 29. And immediately he, being Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought, all, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Let me pray for us and we'll begin this message. Heavenly Father, uh, we're grateful that we can come here tonight to have fellowship with one another and also to study your word. I pray that uh, during this message, Lord, that we would learn more about Jesus, who you are and the great Savior that you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the biggest crowd that you've been a part of? Think about it. What's the biggest crowd that you've been a part of? Maybe it was a concert. You know, maybe there's a special band or singer that you love to see, and that drew a large crowd at a concert. Maybe it was some sort of rally, some political rally or some spiritual rally that you've been to. Maybe it was a movie, maybe it was opening night, maybe it was a premiere, or maybe it was some sort of conference, a Christian conference, and there was some speaker or, or some topic that you wanted to learn more about. I know for myself, the biggest crowd that I was a part of was actually in 2014, after the Giants won the World Series. Um, I, myself, and Hannah, we joined a crowd of about 800,000 people on the streets of San Francisco right after the Giants won the World Series. That was the largest crowd that I've been a part of. But whatever crowd it is, whatever, when people gather and there's a mob of people, um, it's never because they're just there by chance. They're never there by random. There's always some sort of common interest, some sort of common tie that brought them there together. For me, at the Giants Parade, it was my love for the Giants and that they won the World Series. That's why I was there. If it was a concert, again, maybe it was some singer or some musician that you love to see. Well, as I was preparing for this lesson tonight, I actually read about a crowd, a, a huge crowd, the hugest crowd that I have ever, uh, I have ever read about. It was 7.3 million people. 7.3 
million people gathered together in one place. And to give you an, I guess a ballpark of, of what that looks like, that's roughly the population of the entire San Francisco Bay Area. That's San Francisco itself stretching down to San Mateo, going down to Santa Clara, wrapping around the East Bay up to Napa. 7.3 million people gathered on one day. Can you guess what it was? Well, it was actually a Benny Hinn Holy Spirit miracle crusade. If you don't know who Benny Hinn is, that's okay. Don't worry about it. But he was, he's a faith healer. Um, you know, false teacher for sure. Uh, but he was a faith healer. And so when he came to, uh, when he hosts these miracle crusades, he promised people that he would heal them of their diseases, heal them of their pain and their illnesses. But what I want you to focus on is that 7.3 million people came to be healed or to witness healing. And I think that speaks to something about us as human beings. It, it tells us that there's this universal interest that we have in healing. Because illness, disease, and pain, it's a universal problem. We've all been affected by it at some time in our life. Maybe it was someone who was close to you, a family member, your grandparents, your parents, or your friend who've deeply struggled with disease and pain in their life, and you got to witness it. Or maybe it's you yourself, where you're going through some sort of illness, some sort of disease, and you are struggling and you're suffering right now. And this applies to all of us. Deep down, you know that one day, you yourself, your own body will succumb to some sort of disease or accident. And eventually, your body will fail you. Illness, disease, and pain, it's a universal problem that we have. So what does Jesus have to tell us about it? What does Scripture teach us about how to respond to uh, to disease and pain. And that's what we're going to learn about. So tonight we're going to learn about two responses to Jesus' healing miracles that will strengthen you when experiencing disease and pain. Again, two responses to Jesus' healing miracles that will strengthen you when experiencing disease and pain. Or you can change it a little bit and you can say two responses to the miracles of Jesus that will help you to strengthen others when they experience disease and pain. So the first response, and this is going to be found in verses 29 through 34. This is going to be the majority of the time. First response is to hope in the future healing power of Jesus. To hope in the future healing power of Jesus. I set the context a little bit for our passage. We are at the foundation of Jesus' ministries. He just began his public ministry in the region of Galilee. And really, what I believe to be the main focus of his ministry in this time, we actually learned about it, and it was summarized for us back in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. And really, I think this is the theme throughout the first chapter of this, uh, of this book. Verse 14 tells us that now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and this is the focus of his ministry now, proclaiming the gospel of God. And specifically, he's saying, the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is a theme that we'll learn about for the rest of Mark chapter 1. And we saw how this played out last week, where Jesus called his first disciples, Peter or Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And then he took them, and they went to a synagogue, right? In verse 21, and Jesus preached. He taught the people there about that kingdom of God. And then... 
He also cast out a demon in that synagogue. And so it's on that same day, that same day where Jesus preached, and the same day that Jesus cast out the demon, where we jump into our passage in verse 29. So I'll read that again, verse 29. And immediately, again, that's Mark's favorite word, it seems to be, in the beginning of his Gospels. He says, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. I call that uh, Simon and, and Andrew, James and John, Jesus had just called them into ministry, called them to be one of his disciples. And so they actually lived here. They lived here in Galilee. And so Jesus went to Simon Peter's house, uh, presumably to rest. Remember, this is the Sabbath day. They had just come back from the synagogue. Back in the day on the Sabbath day, uh, Sabbath services would usually end around noontime. And so Jesus and his four disciples came back and to rest for the rest of the afternoon and probably to eat lunch or whatever. But when he gets to the door, he doesn't get to rest. Verse 29 says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. You can see that in this passage here that in verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law, so his wife's mom, right, was sick with a fever. So bad that she was down and out. She was laying down on the bed, unable to move, unable to get up. And again, Mark adds that word immediately. And I think this gives us an idea of how serious this disease was, right? That once Jesus entered into the house, once he crossed the threshold of the house, everyone in the house said, hey, Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. You need to come right now, right now to help her. Jesus didn't have time to take off his sandals. He didn't have time to use the restroom or grab a glass of water to eat lunch. But immediately, he needed to go and to help her. And so that's what he did. In 31, we see the miracle itself. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Uh, excuse me, verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. Notice here that it's very simple. So simple, there's, you can almost miss how miraculous this really is. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no chanting, right? There's no buildup really at all. But Jesus walks into the room. He sees her sick laying on her bed. He takes her hand, props her up a little bit. In Luke's account in four, Luke 4, it says that Jesus actually rebuked the fever as well. So he said a few words, and just like that, fever's gone. Amazing, amazing. And I know that some of you work in healthcare, and we're grateful for all the work that you've done to, to help us. Um, but this healing is nothing like what our healthcare workers um, do for us. This is so much greater. And to give you an idea of how great it is, I, I, there's a couple of two observations um, that I want to use to describe this healing. And really, the, it describes uh, Jesus' healing as a whole. Uh, the first one is that this healing, the first observation is, is, was that this healing was immediate. It was immediate. Um, notice here that there was no delay. Right? Once Jesus lifted her up and took her by the hand, she just got up. She was better. Um, this is very different than going to your doctor, right? If you go to your doctor with a problem, they'll tell you, hey, you need to take this pill, take some medicine, or maybe you need to rest, lose some weight, get some exercise, right? And then you'll get better. 
That's not the case here, right? There's no pill. There's nothing here. But immediately, she's healed. And not only that, the second observation is that it was immediate, but also secondly, it was complete. It was complete. I like how Mark adds this little tidbit at the end of verse 31. And right after this healing, it says, she began to serve them. And that gives us an idea that how complete this healing was. Um, Moments before, it seems like seconds before, she was down and out on the bed with a fever. And people were worried that she would not even make it through the night. And yet, immediately and completely, she recovered. And she felt so good that she could actually serve Jesus. Notice, right, when, we, when someone usually, you know, gets over a fever or some sort of illness or disease, we usually tell them, hey, you know, take it easy. You know, you can sit on the couch, lay in your bed, get some more sleep. You know, take all the time you need. Simon's mother-in-law would have none of that. She said, hey, there's no reason for me to sit here and rest. You know, Jesus is here. His disciples are here. I need to go make some lunch, right? They're hungry. And that's how complete this healing was. And so in a matter of hours, right, Jesus shows his authority over fever, over this fever. And he also showed his authority over the demons, right, in our past, uh, in last week's message. But it doesn't end there. There's more to this story. There's more healing that Jesus does. In verse uh, 32, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. At this time in Jesus' ministry, his reputation was growing. It was spreading throughout the region of Galilee. According to parallel accounts in the other Gospels, Jesus had already performed other miracles. In verse 28 in our own Gospel in Mark here, again, it tells us that and at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus was getting famous, and people knew the name Jesus Christ. And so, as you can imagine, when he made his appearance in Capernaum in the synagogue, people were really excited. They didn't know where Jesus was, but here he was in Capernaum. And so they went back from the synagogue, they went to their homes, and they told everyone that he's here, right? Jesus, the great teacher, the authoritative teacher that we've heard about, he's here in our city, here in Capernaum. The miracle worker is here, and he's staying at Peter's house. Let's go. And so they find all of their sick friends, their sick relatives, those with demons, and they come to Jesus. It says in verse 32 that it was at evening, right? So in a matter of a few hours, right? Again, the synagogue, they wrap up their services around noontime. In a matter of a few hours, verse 33 tells us that the whole city came to see Jesus. And it was like a total mob scene, or at least that's how I'd imagined it, right? The whole city trying to see Jesus, trying to see Jesus and to see his power in healing. Verse 34 tells us also that he healed various diseases. Um, It's not explicitly mentioned what diseases uh, Jesus healed, um, but we know that Jesus throughout his ministry, that he he really healed a variety of diseases. And to give you a brief survey of all the diseases that Um, Jesus healed, 
um, I did some research and I found that uh, these are all the miracles, right? Jesus healed, of course, Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed several men of their leprosy and various skin diseases. He healed people of their blindness and gave them sight. He healed paralytics and the lame. He gave them the ability to walk again. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, someone whose hand was shrunken and he made it whole again. He healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He healed people who were deaf and mute. And he healed a whole another host of sicknesses and illnesses that are not specified. And of course, he healed Malchus's ear that was cut clean off. You can see here, just by this brief survey, how many diseases and the wide variety of, of diseases that Jesus healed. And they, were range, they ranged in severity, right? Some of them, these people were, you know, it was minor diseases. They were simply just illnesses or sicknesses. In the other cases, it was incredibly severe. It was, they were near death, and Jesus was able to heal them. It also ranged extensively in the length of their diseases. For some people, they were presumably sick for just a single day being sick, probably like Simon's mother-in-law. For others, for one man in particular, he was blind for his entire life. And so for our story here tonight, again, it's not explicit what diseases that Jesus healed, um, but I got to believe that he healed a lot of those diseases in the list that I just gave, and perhaps more. And the reason for that is because it says that the whole city was here. It says in verse 3 that all who were sick, all who were oppressed by demons, they came. Every single person who felt a little tickle in their throat or who, had, or who were lame or who were blind, they came to Jesus that night to be healed, and he healed them all. Verse 32 also tells us that he cast out people or cast out demons, and he helped those who were oppressed by demons. And I do want to take some time to clarify uh, what it means to be oppressed or possessed by a demon. Um, sometimes we have the idea that uh, when someone is possessed by a demon, that they lose all control of their bodily functions, right? The demon just comes and takes over, and the person is, no longer, is, is barely there. Um, and it's true. I think rarely that can happen. We see that in uh, Mark chapter 5 with the Gerasene demoniac, where he just lost complete control over his body. But there are actually many other cases where demons are oppressing people or afflicting people. And that's why I like uh, Mark's trans or the, the ESV translation that says in verse 32, they were oppressed by demons. Um, some of the ways that demons oppress people is by causing them to uh, commit violence, violent towards other people. Demons can also cause people to be mute, to lose their sense of, or to lose their speaking ability. They can cause epilepsy and seizures. They can, call people, they can cause people to start crying out and yelling for no apparent reason. Um, they can also cause people to have self-mutilation. Self there was a boy who continually just threw himself into the fire because he was oppressed by a demon. They can cause people to just go naked. No explanation needed, right? Just to go naked. Again, so all of these types of afflictions, right, they're not necessarily total possession uh, uh, in the sense that we know it today. Um, but a lot of these uh, issues, we may actually classify it as really severe uh, mental illness, mental disease. And just to be clear, right, not every single mental illness is caused, necessarily caused by a demon, but in the Gospels, it seems that many of them are. And so these people who are oppressed by demons, just like the people who had diseases and illnesses, they came to Jesus to be healed. And every single one who came 
they were healed. Jesus cast them all away. And in verse 34, we also get our, um, we also have this sentence that, that's at the end, and Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because uh, they knew him. Um, Ray talked about this last week, about why Jesus actually rebuked that demon who was calling him uh, the, the Holy One of God. And I agree with Ray's assessment here, and it's a bit confusing at first. You know, why wouldn't Jesus allow this demon to proclaim him as the Son of God, as the Christ? And I agree with what Ray said here, is that uh, Jesus probably did not want to confuse people. Um, he didn't want the demons to proclaim him as the Son of God because demons like to twist the truth. They take what the truth says and they twist it and they confuse people, right? We saw it certainly in Genesis chapter three when the devil himself, he twisted what God had said and deceived Adam and Eve and demons continue to twist the truth in false religion today, right? You think of false religions such as Mormonism or Roman Catholicism or Jehovah's Witnesses. They call Jesus the son of God, but then they twist it and they confuse it with the truth. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, where he doesn't want the demons to uh, proclaim him as the Son of God because they may twist it and confuse people and lead them astray. And so Jesus did not permit the demons to speak. All right, so after going through that, I want you again to, to think about what, what's really going on um, in this scene. Again, this is the whole city, the whole crowd, a whole mob of people that hear about Jesus. And so they come to Simon Peter's house to be healed. And I can imagine that some of the, there's a mixture of, of emotions here, right? There's a mixture of excitement about what Jesus could do. Um, there's certainly amazement when Jesus heals people. Um, there's joy as people are being healed. Um, but also, I, I believe that there is most likely a sense of nervousness as well. Um, many of these people... I presume that they had gone to doctors. They had gone to priests to try to get treated before. Um, many of these people, they had been suffering their whole lives. And so they didn't really know if what all the stories that they heard about Jesus, they didn't really know if it was true. But they came anyways because they were desperate to experience the healing power of Jesus. They had nowhere else to go. But as you can Imagine that as they were there and they're nervous and not really sure if Jesus could even help them, they saw one by one as the people were being healed. Can Jesus heal this man's cough? Yes. Can this Jesus heal this paralyzed woman's, uh, can, can Jesus heal this paralyzed woman and make her walk again? Yes. Can this leper be cleansed? Yes. And every single person who came that night, Jesus could heal them. And so that nervousness turned into just joy because of what Jesus could do. And just like Peter's mother-in-law, people experienced healing that was immediate and complete. Luke 8, 7 tells us, and this is the parallel account, says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he took our diseases, and, or he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's what Jesus was doing in this case. He took away all of the illnesses in that city. So what's the significance? I talked a lot about what this story is, but what is the meaning? What's the significance for us today? We're not there in that crowd, but disease and illness and pain, mental issues are still very much 
at work today. So what's the significance here? Again, I, I, I look back at the, the passage that I, or the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry again in verse 14. And I believe this is where we get uh, the clue as to what's the significance of Jesus' healing. Again, 14 says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus tells us here that the kingdom of God is at hand. That it's almost as if you can reach out and touch the kingdom of God. And that's because the king is here. And so Jesus, what I believe that he's doing here in this healing passage is that he's actually giving us a preview of the coming kingdom of God. And you guys all know movie previews. I know for myself, when I go to a movie theater, uh, that's one of my favorite parts about going to see the movies is to watch the previews, right? And in previews, you get to see some clips. It's usually a minute or so, and you get to see some clips of the actual movie itself. Maybe you see some of the music, and you get some sense of what that movie is going to be about. And it's all about hyping you up, hyping that movie up so you want to be a part of it. You want to go see it. And I think that is actually what's happening here in this passage where Jesus is giving a preview of the kingdom of God. Because just as he is healing the people here in Galilee, every single person who enters into the kingdom of God will be healed of all of their diseases, all of their illnesses, all of their mental uh, deficiencies. All of that will be healed when they enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes in our Christian circles, we tend to um, shy away from this, actually. And we, we shy away from talking about the healing power of Jesus. And I get it, right? We, we, wanna, we don't want to be associated with the Benny Hins of the world, right? We don't want to be associated with the, the false teachers, the, the faith healers. We don't want to be a part of that. But I don't want to shy away from this tonight. I want to talk about the healing power of Jesus because it's not something that we should shy away from. This is something that we should celebrate. This should cause us great worship and it should cause us to praise, the, praise God because it gives us great hope in the future. Year after year, um, and I know it's the same for each one of you, is I just see more and more suffering in the world. More and more suffering. Um, every single one of us, we, we know someone who is suffering from a disease today or someone who has succumbed to a disease and their body, they, they, they passed away from that disease. And COVID, of course, this pandemic has been a staggering reminder of how frail our bodies are. But for many of you, you're already witnessing the decline of your family members, grandparents, parents. You've seen, and just looking at this room, right, you've seen, some of you have seen your own parents fallen down, broken bones, and you've seen them suffering as they rehab and they try to get better and you never really know if they ever will. For some, you've seen your grandparents or parents go through slow progressing diseases like dementia, Alzheimer's, where First, it's just mental, and they forget things, but it progresses, and they, they lose their mental, all mental ability and physical ability as well. For some of you, it's cancer, and all the different types of cancer that you've seen your grandparents, parents go through. For some, it's quick. 
It's a heart attack. It's a stroke. And just like that, in a matter of days, your family member is gone. For some, tragically, it's your peers, siblings, friends have a car accident. Suddenly they pass away. Or it's a chronic disease and every day is, is a struggle and they experience immense pain. For some, it's yourself. Right now, you're going through diseases, medical issues, whether it's small or, or large. And for every one of us, again, one day we will all succumb to some sort of disease, or it might be quick, it may be an accident, something unexpected. And as I think about this, year after year, we see more, and every single time, it's a jarring reminder that our bodies are broken, that our bodies are frail, our bodies are weak, and that we are just like the people here in Galilee, the people who are mobbing, trying to get into the door, trying to get to Jesus and to be healed. We are all desperate for the healing power of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you tonight that every single person who enters into the kingdom of God will experience the same healing power that Jesus showed us here in Galilee where every single person who enters, they will experience a healing that is immediate and that is complete. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about that healed body that we will receive in the kingdom of God. It's a new body. It's a perfect body. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42 and 43 says that, and it describes and it contrasts our body now with the body that we will receive in the future in the kingdom. Verse 32 says, so it, it is with the resurrection of the dead. That's each one of us if you enter into the kingdom. And here it is. Here now he describes our bodies. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Look at how our bodies are described. The bodies that you're sitting in right now, they're described as perishable as dishonorable, as weak. And we all know that our bodies are weak, they're frail, they're declining, they're falling apart. But notice how God describes our resurrected body, our healed body. It's imperishable, it is glorious, and it is powerful. That's the body that Jesus will give you, and that's the healing that you will experience in the kingdom. And I realized that as I read this passage that I actually made a critical error before. I said that the healing that you will experience in the kingdom is the same healing as the people in Galilee experienced. But that's not true. The healing that you will experience, yes, it will be complete. Yes, it will be immediate. But the healing that you will receive will be eternal. Every single person that Jesus healed that night in Galilee, they eventually died. They eventually died. Some disease, some accident, some, something took them out. But the healing that we receive in the kingdom of God is eternal. That means no more disease, no more cancer, no more dementia, no more pain, no more broken bones, no more mental illness, no more suffering. Jesus will heal all of them. And you will praise Jesus forever because of his healing power. So how do you respond to disease and pain in this life today? Well, this passage gives you hope in the future. 
that the suffering that you're undergoing now, that yes, it is painful, and yes, it is a trial in your life, but know, know that there is hope, a true hope that Jesus will heal you of all those things and you will spend eternity free from the pain and suffering now. And so that's the first response. The first response that we learn from Jesus' healing miracles is to, or is to hope in the future healing power of Jesus. Uh, but there's more. All right, there's another response that I want to look at for the rest of the passage. Second response is to repent now to receive the healing, the, excuse me, repent now to receive the deeper healing from sin. Response number two is to repent now to receive the deeper healing from sin. This is found in verses 35 through 38. Again, verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This discipline that Jesus had to go to a desolate place and to pray and to spend time with God the Father, it appears to be a regular discipline in the life of Jesus, right? And definitely, you know, a side application from this message is that we should be like Jesus, right? If the sinless Son of God knew that he needed time to spend with the Father in prayer, so do we. And so we should follow his example. And yes, that might mean you have to get up early while it's still dark to do it. But if Jesus did it, so should we. But have you ever wondered, um, in these moments where Jesus goes to pray, have you ever wondered, what did Jesus actually pray for? What was the topic of prayer for that morning for Jesus? Um, well, actually, in the context of many times when Jesus prays, you can actually probably make a pretty good guess of what Jesus is praying about. Uh, we just actually studied one of those times when Jesus went to a desolate place and he prayed, and that was actually what's commonly known as the temptation of Jesus. But he also spent that time, you know, aside from being tempted, with the Father, preparing himself for his ministry up ahead. There's another time when Jesus prayed right before he was selecting the 12 apostles. And it's very likely that he was praying about which apostles he should select. Well, I think for our passage, actually, when you look at the following verses, we can actually pretty safely guess what Jesus was praying for. And what I believe Jesus was praying for was that he was asking the Father, what should he do next? What should be the priority of his ministry? And so we'll see this in the dialogue that follows. Verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Again, Jesus went out early in the morning, right? He was staying at Simon's house, but he got up so early, no one else was awake. And so Simon got up, Jesus wasn't in his bed, and so Simon went out looking for Jesus. Again, most likely with his brother Andrew and James and John, they went out searching for Jesus. And then when he finally found Jesus on this remote hill somewhere, he tells him, hey, I'm not the only one, we're not the only ones looking for you. Right? Every single person in the city is looking for you, Jesus, and you're here by yourself. What, what's going on? And then Jesus says something that is really confusing at first. He says, you know, forget about the healing. Forget about, or not forget about this town, but forget about the healing, right? Let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also. And 
and says that, that's why he came. That's the priority of his ministry, right? It's not to heal, but it's to preach. And again, going back to the theme of this, past, or this whole chapter in verse 15, Jesus actually tells us what the end goal of his preaching is at the end of verse 15. It's to repent and believe in the gospel. That's his goal when he's teaching people about the word of God. He doesn't want them to just listen, but he wants a response. And that response is repentance and belief or faith. So why is this the priority? Jesus just did amazing things by healing a whole city. And yet he says, I need to go to other towns and I need to preach. Well, Jesus understands, right, that disease mental illness, pain, suffering, affliction by demons. Those are all painful. Those are all horrific. But it's not the root of the problem. It's not the core of the problem. Disease, affliction from demons, these are just symptoms. They tell you that something is wrong with you. They tell you that something is wrong with your body, that something is wrong with this world. But the truth is, is that you need a deeper healing a healing that goes deeper than the external symptoms. You need a deeper healing of sin. Jesus understands that in order to enter the kingdom of God, that you need to be healed and your sins need to be wiped away. And that's why he preaches, so that people can come to faith, so that people can come to repentance, so that they can receive this deeper healing and enter into the kingdom of God. But this healing of sin It's not something that Jesus was born with. Jesus was born with the ability to heal people of their diseases. He was born with it. He just came into the world and he was able to heal people of being paralyzed, heal people of their blindness. But that's not the case with this healing. That's not the case of the deeper healing from sin. This is a healing power that Jesus had to earn. And he earned it throughout the course of his life by living a perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father. He never once disobeyed the Father, but instead he joyfully submitted to all of his commands. But at the end of his life, as you know, he died an undeserved death. He died on the cross, where the Father placed the sin of the world on his shoulders, and the Father crushed him. And Jesus experienced a pain that is far greater than any of the disease or pain that we experience because it was a pain caused by the Father himself and the Father crushed him for it. But three days later, Jesus rose again. He was raised from the dead and he showed that yes, he has power over physical pain, over physical death, but he has power over sin. And that is far greater than any um, bodily pain that you can experience. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus came to preach. And now, the, or, and now the question for you is, do you believe it? Do you trust in it? Do you recognize that Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, that's the only way that you can be healed of your sins. That's the only way into the kingdom of God. Do you have faith and do you trust and do you believe in that truth? And have you repented? Have you repented? Do you recognize the sinfulness in your own heart, the wickedness in your heart? Do you recognize that you have rebelled against God, a good and righteous God? You have turned away from him. And do you recognize that God will punish you for your sins? Do you understand that? 
And have you turned away from it? Have you decided to follow Jesus, to lay aside your sin, to lay aside your own sinful ambitions, and to follow Christ and to give everything for him? All of this is what Jesus desires for you right here, right now. Jesus never promises that you will be healed of your pain and diseases in this life, but the offering that he gives to you right now is a much greater healing, a healing from sin itself. And so repent and have faith in Jesus. For your sick and unbelieving friends and and loved ones, we should be like Jesus in this passage. Where Jesus, he was compassionate and he was loving. He cared for their bodies, their physical bodies. And we should do the same. In caring and loving for unbelieving friends and family and doing whatever we can to help them. But at the same time, we need to recognize the priority right now is that yes, they're undergoing immense pain, pain that we may never experience before, but they need to believe in Jesus. They have a deeper healing that they need, a healing from sin. And so tell them about Jesus. That yes, he healed people here in this book, but he can heal them of their sin. So how do you respond to disease and pain in, in this life? I know that this when you have pain and trials, it can cause you to doubt the goodness of God. But I hope when you have those doubts in your life, you turn back to the Gospels and you see that Jesus can and he will heal you of all of your diseases in the kingdom of God. But also understand that here and now, the focus on your life is to be living in repentance, is living for God the Father and trusting the future to him. And when you do that, in the future, you will enter the kingdom of God and Jesus will heal you. And just like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to be immediate, complete, and eternal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, God, we're amazed that your healing power, um, you healed every single person in that city in Galilee that night. And Lord, we look forward to the future when all of the disease and illness and mental conditions, when you will heal them all in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we long for that day and we pray that 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 day would come soon. But for us here and now, we pray that we would focus on ourselves and that we would see that we need to continue to trust in you and to repent of, of our sins. And I pray for all those in this room today, I pray, Lord, that they would also believe and repent for their sins to receive salvation that comes only through your son. We pray these things in his name. Amen.